0: I invite the children to be dismissed to Junior Church, and I invite you all to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter uh, 3, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Had to look down, make sure I was getting that right. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, we're marching our way through Philippians, walking through this beautiful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter of Philippians, this letter of joy, this letter of joy and this letter exhorting them to unity, unity and joy. I love this illustration that Chuck Swindoll uh, gave. He wrote, it, it had been a long time since Horace Walpole smiled. Too long. We're going to come back to smiles here in a little bit. We're going to come back to humor in a little bit. But let me just say right now, it is important to smile, It is important to laugh. It's important to not take ourselves too seriously. And um, it's so important. It's even important to force it sometimes. And there's benefits. We'll come back to that. It had been a long time since Horace Walpole smiled. It had been too long since he had smiled. For him, life for him had become as drab as the weather in dreary old England. Then on a grim winter day in 1754, 1754, While reading a Persian fairy tale, his smile returned. He wrote his longtime friend Horace Mann, telling him of the thrilling approach to life he had discovered from the folk tale. The ancient tale told of three princes from the island of Ceylon who set out on a pursuit of great treasures. They never found that for which they searched. But en route, they were continually surprised by delights, which they had never anticipated. While looking for one thing, they found another. The original name of Ceylon was Serendip. Serendip. Do we know a word kind of like that? Serendip, which explains the title of this story, The Three Princes of Serendip. From that... Walpole, Walpole coined the wonderful word. He coined the wonderful word serendipity. And from then on, his most significant and valued experiences were those that happened to him while he was least expecting them. Those experiences that happened when he was least expecting them. Those experiences that brought that smile, that humor, that fun. Serendipity occurs when something beautiful breaks into the monotonous and the mundane. Something beautiful breaks into the monotonous and the mundane. And we all need that, don't we? A serendipitous life is marked by surprisability and spontaneity. When we lose our capacity for either, when we lose our capacity for either, surpriseability, spontaneity, when we lose our capacity for either, we settle into life's ruts. We expect little, and we are seldom disappointed. We expect little, we are seldom disappointed, we are settled into life's ruts. Swindall writes, though I have walked with God for several decades, I must confess, I still find much about him incomprehensible and mysterious. But this much I know. He delights in surprising us. The Lord delights in surprising us. He dots our pilgrimage from earth to heaven with amazing serendipities. He dots our pilgrimage from earth to heaven with amazing serendipities. Do we find joy in everyday moments of life? Are we open to the surprisability? Or are we gloom and grumpy, willfully negative? This is a book I highly recommend, The Body Keeps a Score. It's not a Christian book. It gets into the whole body and how the whole body is connected and in the psyche and, and you know the heart brain and all these other different things. For example, somebody could be saying one thing, but their body and their mannerisms are communicating another thing. On one hand, they're saying, I'm okay, I'm okay, but their eyes are wandering around and you, know, you really can't trick the body. You really can't trick the whole, bo- the whole body. Well, it says at one point in that book, the commonality with grumpy old men the characteristic, the stereotypical grumpy old men, the commonality is they don't engage in the arts. And by the arts, it doesn't mean painting. It's just the arts, you know, the uh, drama and, and music and uh, whether literature or movies or things like that. It's a different part of the brain. What brings you joy in life? Anyone? Shout something out. What? Athena, Athena, grandbaby. Grandbaby brings joy in life. I've heard grandchildren are a lot of fun. I'm not rushing to get there, but I've heard they're a lot of fun. What brings you joy in life? Someone else. Jesus. Jesus, Amen. I'm glad that you know the right answer, Greg. (laughs) Uh, uh, Jesus. We're going to go there in a minute. You just destroyed the whole sermon. No. Uh, (laughs) Anyone else? What brings you joy in life? Kids, kids bring joy. Who said people? Somebody shouted people. La, 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 Lily said people. Yeah. Beautiful, sunsets. beautiful sunsets. What do you say, Tammy? Family. Family. Family gatherings. Sunsets. The beautiful sunsets. What? Good food. That's true. Yeah, we're going to have good food in our fellowship hall after the service. What? <laughs> Amen. Amen. What do you say, Gary? The, stealer joy. The, stealer. the stealer's losing brings him joy. Yeah. Time to move on. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, Anybody else? Anything else that brings joy in life? A kind smile brings joy. Blaine? Quiet. Quiet Quiet can bring joy. What did you say, Bobby? Repeating it. Quiet. Fall colors. Have you noticed the leaves are starting to change and bring different colors? You know, chocolate brings joy, Right. All these different things, they come from God and they can bring joy in life. And as long as we realize and put them in their proper context under God, that is a very, very, very good thing. And as we look at Philippians chapter three, verse one, we see rejoice in the Lord. And the Lord gives us, I believe, really seriously, the Lord gives us things in this life that we can enjoy and we praise him for them chocolate or a beautiful sunset or fall colors or ice water on a hot day or time with family and children and, and other different things. And we can praise him for them and, and keep the right perspective. So what I want to talk about just for a few moments here is rejoicing in the Lord, that, that's what the apostle Paul said at Philippians chapter three, verse one. Now, what's important as we look at the scripture? The three most important, the three most important words in Bible study are context, context, context. And I want to begin with the context, the context, and then the context again. Let's look at how did we get here to Philippians chapter three, verse one. And so in Philippians, and we're gonna go right back, all the way back to Philippians chapter one. And I wanna summarize the different sections of Philippians. In Philippians chapter one, the first 11 verses, Paul greets them and he prays for them. He greets them and he prays for them. And let me remind you, as I have reminded you as we walk through Philippians, that it has been even called a letter of joy, He's writing in just a joyful way, and he's writing about unity, and he's writing in a joyful way. This is different in Philippians compared to some of his other letters. And in Galatians, he comes out swinging. In Galatians, we preached through Galatians in, in the BC times, before COVID. BC, we talked about Galatians. And in Galatians, he's addressing heresy. So he's coming out in a different way. In 1 Corinthians, from the very beginning, first chapter First 1 Corinthians, he's addressing divisions. But in Philippians, he's coming out with just an attitude of joy. He's thankful for them. They bring him joy and he prays for them. In Philippians chapter one, verses 12 through 18, Paul writes, that his imprisonment has meant progress for the gospel. Again, context, 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 background, background, background. Paul is writing from prison. And when he could have had a negative attitude about it, when he could have been a grumpy old man, because he probably was an older man at this point, when he could have done that, he wasn't talking that way. He said, my imprisonment's for the gospel. I'm in prison, but don't, don't worry about me. God's got this covered. I'm a witness to the whole praetorian guard. They're chained to me. I got a captive audience, and I'm just going to keep on talking about the gospel. So that's those verses. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26, Paul writes about how he will live for Christ. He will live for Christ. To live for Christ, to die is gain. But I want to keep on living for Christ because that's fruitful labor. Chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, Paul encourages them to walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. And we've, we've preached on all these sections. We're kind of in our second, our, our going downhill through Philippians right now. And it's just a marvelous book and it will continue to be. But what is a manner worthy of the gospel? Well, I think that gets into chapter two. In two, chapter two, verses one through four, Paul wrote about unity, in self-sacrificial behavior, he urged them to be united and to be self-sacrificial. And then in verses 5 through 11, he gave the ultimate example of self-sacrifice, Jesus. Jesus, who was with God in eternity past, he was with God in heaven co-creator, co-eternal Jesus, never never actually born Alpha and Omega to begin in the end. We just had his human birth in which we celebrate at Christmas time, but he's always been God. He's always been God. And he chose to become a human being. And he chose to live a sacrificial life. And he chose to go to the cross. And he chose to take up our death, to die in our place, You know, to, to take the sins of the world from past, present, and future upon himself. He chose death. And Paul writes, even death on a Roman cross, the most humiliating of death. And then he rose again. That's the example of Christ. In verses 12 through 18 of chapter 2, Paul wrote about Christian behavior, Christian behavior. He wrote about being, you know, doing all things without grumbling and complaining. And he said there's a purpose. Then you can shine like light Then you can shine like light. And in verses 19 through 24 and 25 through 30, the Apostle Paul gave two other examples. The example of Timothy and the example of Epaphroditus. So we have three examples of a self-sacrificial behavior, of a self-sacrificial Christian attitude. We have the example of Jesus. And then we have the example of Timothy. And then we have the example of Epaphroditus. So after writing about unity and writing about sacrifice, he now takes one verse to remind them to rejoice, to remind them to rejoice. And he says to rejoice in the Lord. Let's look at this verse. It's Philippians chapter three, verse one. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Now, there's an insert in your bulletin with blanks, and the first two are right there in that verse. Finally, my brothers. It's interesting, he says finally. Sometimes the apostle Paul does that, and he continues writing for you know, several more chapters. In this case, he does that, and he writes two more chapters. He is making a transition here a little bit. But finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble. To me, and is safe for you. in In this case, that word "finally" is an attention-getting word. It's an attention. He, he's kind of saying, "As far as the rest is concerned, this is what I have to say to you." Paul is not writing out of a burden, but out of joy, and he is about to give a warning. Starting in the very next verse, which we'll talk about in two weeks, actually. Starting out in the very next verse, he's about to give a warning. But first he wants to exhort them to rejoice. Before he gives a warning about, about people who are teaching some uh, bad teaching, before he gives a warning about them, likely, likely people that who, who think they can earn their righteousness and things like that, before he gives a warning about them, first he says, rejoice. In the Lord, And, you know, he's going to pick up this theme again in chapter 4. In chapter 4, he's going to write about unity. And then in chapter 4, he's going to pick up this theme. And in chapter 4, he's going to continue to talk about rejoicing and praying and being thankful. He's going to pick up this theme again. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul wrote about rejoicing. In the previous chapter, he wrote about rejoicing. So rejoicing and having joy, that's not a new concept to the Apostle Paul. Not at all a new concept. It's a theme of Philippians. And notice how he continues to use the language of family. He says, finally, my brothers, or we could say my brothers and sisters. He's talking to them with a loving uh, family type of attitude. And then he says, rejoice in the Lord. I like what John MacArthur shares. He says, this, however, is the first time he adds in the Lord which signifies the sphere in which the believer's joy exists. A sphere unrelated to the circumstances of life, but related to an unassailable, unchanging relationship to the sovereign Lord. The sphere of our rejoicing is in the Lord. The sphere of our rejoicing is in the Lord. Do we keep that context? Do we keep that frame of mind? We'll come back to that a little bit with some applications in a moment. And he says, this is important for him to write. You know, the verb, a verb means it's an action word, to run, to jump, to play. The verb has to do with being glad or joyful. Being glad. He is saying to be glad in God. How many of us are glad in God? Are we joyful in God? Are we happy in God? You know, then he says to write the same thing to you It's no trouble. Now, Oftentimes we wonder, is he talking about writing the same thing about rejoicing? Probably not. He's probably talking about what he's about to write, which is the very next verse about watching out for, he calls them the dogs and those who think they can earn their righteousness. He wrote about this a little bit in chapter one, and he's going to come back to that. he's, He's probably talking about that in the very next verse. He writes that it is safe for them that he writes this idea again, these warnings. But first, first he exhorts them to rejoice. Let's make some applications. Paul's in a Roman prison. His living conditions are not that good, but he exhorts them to rejoice. How are we doing with rejoicing? How are we doing with being happy? Paul is in a very negative situation. And he's talking about rejoicing. How do you do with that? How do I do with that? It's easy for me to grumble and complain. I'll be honest. I'm working on this. You know, and, and it's easy for me to grumble and complain and be worried and fearful and anxious about trivial matters, right? Trivial matters that aren't gonna matter in 10 years. They're not even gonna matter tomorrow. But I'm upset about them today. Paul is in a dungeon type of prison chained to a guard, and he's talking about rejoicing. And I want to exhort to you that when we force ourselves to find the good, the positive, the laughter, the humor, the smile, it has benefits that affect your life. There's a great book. I read it about three years ago called Rewire Your Brain. Rewire Your Brain. It's written by a Psychologist, counselor type guy who, um, it was recommended by a counseling prophet, Asbury, who's a PhD psychologist. And it's written by a guy who, when he meets with him for counseling, who asks him about many different things. How's your sleep going? How's your diet? All this other stuff. And people will say, ah, can we worry about that later? I, I'm just meeting with you because I, I was told you can help me rewire my brain. And he says, this is how you do it. You know, all these other things. That We Americans have horrible lifestyles with diet, with exercise, with activity, with sleep, with all these other things, and they affect us, and they affect us negatively. And he writes this. He says, you can start to rewire your brain by priming a positive mood through acting as though you're in a good mood when you're not. You hear that? If, you have a, if you're in a bad mood and you force yourself to act as if you're in a good mood, it actually is literally rewiring your brain. Here's a book, The Shallows. It's called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Your Brain. It's actually, has its second edition now. Really, really interesting book. Not an easy read, I'll I'll warn you. I I would let you borrow it, but mine's lent out. But, But it's a really good book, but it gets into neuroplasticity. In other words, our brains can change. Like there's proof. When you tell your kids or your grandkids, hey, be careful who you hang around with because they're gonna affect you, they literally do. Like it carves pathways in your brain that it based off who you are around. Your brain will literally change based off of certain moods. It builds grooves in your brain. I was visiting somebody a few weeks ago and uh, she was just very, very negative. And she has every right to be in a way, she's like 90 something years old. And I said, you know though, when you, um, when you keep repeating a negative word, a negative cycle, it makes it worse. If you keep telling yourself, I'm unhappy, I'm unhappy, I'm unhappy, it makes it worse. Like it literally builds a track in your brain. So let me continue what this neuropsychologist says. He says, let's say that you've been sad recently and you've been pulling back from your friends. Maybe you've said to yourself, I don't want to put on a happy face, right? We've all been there. Trust me, I have too, okay? But he says, you're doing that. You're saying, I don't want to put a happy face on. He says, you should force yourself to call a friend and go out to lunch when you don't feel like it. Once you're at lunch, even just smiling can activate parts of your brain associated with positive emotions. Even just smiling. Now, he's gonna give us some geeky language here about how it works. The main thing is, it does work. Listen to what he says. He says, behavioral activation of the left PFC, which I believe would be the prefrontal cortex, is one of the principal therapies for depression. Thus, making an effort to put yourself out there helps you lift depression. In fact, putting on a happy face is actually helpful. Here's how it works. There are neural pathways that link the facial muscles, the cranial nerves, the subcortical areas in the cortex. Information flows down from the brain to the face, and also back up again. For example, if you contract the muscles on the right side of your face, that activates your left hemisphere, which creates the likelihood of a positive emotional bias. In contrast, if you contract the muscles on the left side of your face, that activates your right hemisphere, which creates the likelihood of a negative bias. They're, they're related. To these are neural pathways that go to the brain. You don't need to know all that. You just need to know it works. When Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, they you know, Paul knew what he's talking about because he's inspired by the Lord and it is important. It matters. This this, uh, doctor continues. Thus, when you force a smile or a frown, you are triggering the feelings associated with happiness or sadness. By smiling or frowning, you send messages to your subcortical and cortical areas that resonate with happy or sad feelings. So put on a happy face. It helps you to feel better. Putting on a happy face helps you to feel better. Humor, he continues, humor is a boost to your biochemistry. Humor helps you, to level, helps you to lower the levels of the stress hormone cortisol while it increases immunoglobulin, the natural killer NK cells, and plasma cytokine gamma interference cells. Immunoglobulin consists of the antibodies that help the immune system to fight infections. It serves as one of the body's primary defense mechanisms. And K-cells seek out and destroy abnormal cells. They are a key mechanism for what is called immunosurveillance. Plasma cytokine gamma interferon orchestrates or regulates anticellular activities and turns on specific parts of the immune system. If you are able, this is where it matters, if you're able to develop a sense of humor about yourself, you'll find that increasingly, you'll, you'll find that increasingly, incredibly, sorry, incredibly liberating. When we can have a sense of humor about ourselves, we will find that incredibly liberating. It ensures you don't take your current situation and yourselves too seriously. Laughing at yourself allows you to see yourself as part of a greater whole. So being joyful, smiling, laughing is really, really powerful medicine. And we need it. We need it. I remember a story I heard about one Christian leader. I think it was Russell Moore that wrote this. Um, uh, Steve's listened to him some. And he wrote about a guy in a church who was just always depressed, negative, angry. He was an older guy. He was retired. He had a lot of time. And they kept trying to counsel him. A church kept trying to counsel him. And they realized they couldn't get anywhere because he was watching the news 24 hours a day. What does the news say? If it bleeds, it leads, right? It's all negative. We need humor. We need the arts. We need joy. We need happiness. We need a smile. So regardless of our situation, if we try to find an optimistic attitude, if we try to smile, if we try to find humor, it will make us happy. And here's the the important thing because we can find humor in a good comedy show or a book or and we can find happiness in a sunset or christmas lights how beautiful are christmas lights i love going around looking at christmas lights we we can find joy in all these things family and children and grandchildren and babies you know i've seen a meme that shows you can pick the man that looks like the meanest man you know and you know big Beard out. I don't know why, I like dark beards, we think they're maybe mean or rough around the edges or whatever. But you can just pick them and you see a little girl reach up with her hands up, you know, like this, like, pick me up. And it'll just melt them away, right? You know, we can find joy in all those things. And every one of us are in different situations in life. But we can all have joy in God. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord. If we are here, and we are Christian, and we are saved, we can have joy in God. We can worship God. We can be happy in God. We can all be happy in God, right? I mean, that's what, I just got a book a few weeks ago. Um, the guy was on the program Open Line on Moody Radio, and it's called The Upside Down Kingdom. It's about the Beatitudes. happier are the poor in spirit, right? Uh, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, it goes on and on. Uh, You know, a big point point of Matthew's gospel, a big point of the gospels is God's kingdom has come. Jesus ushered it in. It's already, but not yet. We're waiting on the consummation of the kingdom. We're waiting on the actual physical consummation of the kingdom, but it's already here. Look, we can all be happy in God. We can all rejoice in the Lord. If we are here and we are saved, we can rejoice in the Lord. And I would encourage you, even challenge us all, Pray, Lord, help me to see things with that heavenly vision. Help me to be happy in you. A big problem with America is we're a very, 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 very affluent country. And that affluence, that stuff, is a roadblock to keep us from rejoicing in the Lord. We think these things will give us happiness, it never does, it's always temporary but we can rejoice in the Lord. We can rejoice in our salvation. We we can rejoice in our communion with the Lord. We can rejoice in our relationship with the Lord. We can rejoice in the people of the Lord. We can rejoice in the things the Lord gives us, children and grandchildren and and, and, and great food and sunsets and scenery, everything. We can all rejoice in the Lord. We can rejoice even in hard times. Amen? Amen? Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. That's what the psalmist writes. God makes known to us a path of life and God's presence is fullness of joy. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give us life and give it to us abundantly, abundantly. As we spend time with the Lord in our devotions and in prayer and with the church family, I believe we will be encouraged to rejoice in the Lord. We must rejoice in the Lord. We can only rejoice in the Lord. Are we glad in God? That's what... Rejoice means to be glad in God. Are we happy in God? No matter what happens politically, can we be happy in God? Seriously, think about that. I encourage you, take it, take these home. Pray about them. I don't put these questions in lightly. First, they're applications to myself and then to everyone else. No matter what happens politically, can we be glad in God? Can we be happy in God? No matter what happens in our world politically, can we be happy in God? Because when I listen to Christians, I, I don't get that impression. I, when I listen to Christians, it seems like their politics is their idol, and we've got to repent of that if that's true. We can always rejoice in the Lord. We can always be happy in God, no matter what happens politically. Can we be happy in God when we do not have much? Later on in the very next chapter, in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul talks about living in want and living in plenty. And he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And we like to put that verse in with athletics. I can score touchdowns through him who gives me strength. I can make money through him who gives me strength. That's not what it's about. And that is the total wrong interpretation that, of that. Paul's talking about living and suffering through God who gives him strength. Paul's talking about living without food, without clothing through him who gives him strength. Paul's talking about living in a a Roman prison chained to a guard through him who gives him strength. Can we rejoice in the Lord when we do not have much? Can we be happy in God when we have plenty? Can we rejoice in God, being happy in God when the day does not go as planned, When we have that unexpected phone call or text message or a flat tire, can we still praise him? Can we still rejoice? Can we still be thankful? Can we still be happy in God? Listen to this. Maybe, maybe without that flat tire, you would have hit a deer. Can you find the good? Whatever happens to each day, God either causes or allows. He either permits it or allows it. Praise him for the good and the difficult things. Praise him because he has a purpose. Get, go home and look up Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. After everything with Joseph, after everything with Joseph, with his brothers, you know, he was in a a prison in Egypt for like 17 years. And eventually God used that to rescue the Holy Land, really to rescue the people of Israel. And what did Joseph say to his brothers? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Praise him for the good and the difficult times. Can we find ways to see, ways to give God praise? Can we find ways to rejoice? Can we look for the good? Can we look for the God moments? Can we look for the God moments? I'm gonna end with that, and I'm gonna invite you to take time and reflect and pray this week. I'm serious, take these home and pray. I, I know it's true, by the time of your afternoon nap, which you won't have today because the Steelers are playing, but by the time of your afternoon nap in the Browns, Most forget the sermon. I encourage you, take, and maybe God will give you some different application questions, but look at it, apply, think of it. Ask the Lord to convict you with his word. Let's pray. Dearly Father, I pray you would guide and help and support and encourage us all, rejoicing and being happy in you. In the good and in the difficult times, because if we have a relationship with you, if we have a relationship with you, we can all rejoice. We can all be happy. Oh, Lord Jesus, you give us so much in our salvation in you. Being a child of God is so much. Having the word of God is so much. Having the people of God, the church of God is so much. And everything else, the physical felt needs that you continuously provide, may we be happy in you. May we rejoice in you. And I pray, Lord God, we would have just a new, a new taste of your presence today, a new encouragement from your presence today. In Jesus' name, amen.